Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek. And today I'm going to be speaking with Tom Sito about his new book, Moving Innovation, A History of Computer Animation. Tom Sito has been a professional animator since 1975. One of the key players in Disney's animation revival of the 1980s and 90s, he worked on such classic Disney films as The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and The Lion King. He left Disney to help set up the DreamWorks Animation Unit in 1995. He's professor of cinema practice in the School of Cinematic Arts at the University of Southern California. Tom Sito, thanks for taking time to speak with the MIT Press Podcast today. Hi, great to be here. So now in this history of computer animation, you go back to some men who were active in animation before the advent of computers. Some, like Walt Disney, are famous. But one man stuck out to me, Oscar Fissinger. Could you explain who he was and why you included him in your book? Yes, I can. Um, it, it, you know, we have a tradition in, uh, in animation and film. Uh, there's an earlier pioneer named Edward Muybridge. And um, uh, Muybridge did some of the earliest uh, motion experiments using photography uh, that w- greatly influenced uh, the birth of motion pictures, both live action and animated film. But the interesting thing is that Muybridge himself never touched a movie camera. And, and didn't actually make or direct film or animation himself. He still had this influence. And, uh, and uh, um, I believe Oscar Fissinger had the same kind of influence on computer uh, graphics. Uh, Fissinger was a German expressionist, um, uh, which was an artist and filmmaker, who was, doing, was very active in the 1930s and had to flee Hitler. And he settled in California. And uh, uh, his artwork... Uh, uh, basically was of a very abstract nature. It was about moving shapes to music. In, a, in effect, what he was talking about was, was visual music. And, and he was very interested in, in the mechanical means of creating imagery uh, that coincided with music. And his work influenced the, the first generation of experimental filmmakers who were working with um, you know, World War II surplus equipment um, oscilloscopes, radar scopes, trying to tame those light beams into making images. And, and it's really sort of the precursor, sort of the analog precursor of computers. Uh, and and uh, Fissinger's work was very influential to a lot of these people, even though Fissinger himself, you know, never pushed a mouse. Do we know who the first person was to make a computer create visual images? And were those images static or could they be animated? Well, the, the first images were static. Um, what they were doing in the in the late 40s and early 1950s was, again, they were trying to they were trying to figure out a way to create shapes using the um, the the light waves of um, of an oscilloscope or a, or a radar scope, and and, and uh, they found that that if you if you created uh, a particular type of shape and you and you froze it, they actually would point the camera at the at the radar scope and take a picture of the screen. And then they would like advance the uh, advance the image, and then take another picture, and take a series of pictures like that. Uh, uh, the, as early as 1954, there was a there was a a, a man in uh, in Utah named Ben Lapolsky, and, and and he was creating these very early images using the um, using the oscilloscope. Um, it wasn't until like about the late 50s that they started to realize that there's just, you know, it's a little too limiting to try to do something directly with an oscilloscope beam. And, uh, and, they sh- and people started to learn about the new system of pixels. 
You mentioned Utah in that answer. I have no background in the history of computer animation, and I was surprised to learn just how much of computer animation was developed in Utah, particularly through the company of Evans and Sutherland. Could you talk a bit about this? Yeah, it is. It, it, it is pretty fascinating. Um, uh, Ivan Sutherland, of course, well, you know, did his graduate work at MIT, and 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 at MIT, he he basically wrote the first animation software fifty years ago, exactly. Uh, this program called Sketchpad. Um, uh, and and he and then he later was working in Harvard, uh, you know, working in experimental electronics and and uh, virtual reality. Um, he made friends um, uh, through a government program with a guy with a with this guy named David Evans, and uh, Evans was uh, was uh, you know uh, uh, from Utah. He was uh, of the Mormon Church, but uh, he was working at Stanford, and. Uh, and 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 round about round about the early 60s, the um, president of of uh, University of Utah, exp- uh, you know, uh, convinced Evans to uh, come home, and and try to establish some kind of program at uh, at Salt Lake, at, uh, at 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 that university. Uh, of course, you know that university is distinct from Brigham Young University; they're they're separate entities, although they did uh, share faculty. Um, and uh, Evans, by, uh, you know, due to his friendship with Sutherland, had wanted to go into some kind of partnership, uh, not only as instructors, but also to, um, uh, also to, you know, do some things in the private sector. And um, and and at one point they considered, you know, doing it in Massachusetts because of, you know, Sutherland was uh, was, uh, you know, uh, at Harvard. But then, uh, basically, it was decided by their wives because the uh, um, because Mrs. Evans said, you know, we have seven children, and we have to pull them all out of school and stuff. And um, and Ivan and his wife only had you know have two kids, <laughs> and so it's a lot less ripping up of roots, you know, for 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 them to move west than for us to move east. So they decided to settle in Utah, and uh, when they began the program. You know, you know, Evans said, you know, the 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 opening field of um, of experimentation with computers is so vast. Uh, you know, how do you think we should approach this? Because we're a small school, we can't possibly do it all. And Sutherland said, we pick, let's just pick one thing and focus on it. And uh, and the thing that they picked was graphics. They said we want to figure out a way to make graphics work, and you know, uh, uh, through computers. Um, interestingly enough. Talking to some of their pupils uh, in the program they established, uh, uh, they said in those early that early period, which is like about the late 1960s, uh, you know, not only did they have to, you know, you know, uh, uh, argue f- for the validity of their program against uh, skeptics in the private sector, they also even have to argue with fellow professors, because uh, some of the professors from uh, chemistry and biology and you know physics and some of the other ones would say, you know, why are you wasting valuable grant money on making pictures? Like, isn't there something more relevant you could be doing, you know? <laughs> Let's talk about another man who appears in your book, Alvy Ray Smith. Why is he important to the history of computer animation? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alvy's a great guy. Um, he's, he's originally from Texas and um, uh, 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 a brilliant man and, uh, uh, and, a, and a, you know, a, a wonderful character. Uh, uh, he originally was, um, he had tenure at NYU while still a young man in, in, in a very advanced form of, uh, of uh, quantum mathematics. In fact, he joked around that only a few people uh, in the science community could even talk to him and knew, you know, what the program was he was doing. 
the, the nature of it and all was so unique that it was difficult to explain. But um, but he had this this hunger to want to do um, to want to do art. So he was a case of um, of, a, of someone who was a scientist, but also was very interested in exploring his creative side. And um, and you know this was like sort of the late sixties, early seventies, and it was the hippie period. And uh, and and Alfie, like just at one point, just you know he, he had a skiing accident. And uh, while he was holed up in the hospital, you know, wrapped in a body cast, he was sort of reevaluating his life. And finally, he just decided, you know, I got to go to California. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. And he just dropped his tenureship and resigned, and just, you know, you know, drove out to California and was living in Palo Alto with a friend on his, uh, you know, like sleeping on his floor. But his friend was uh, one of the leaders of the research group, you know, uh, called Xerox Park, which was doing some of the first. Breakthroughs in uh, in GUIs, you know, graphic user in, interface, and some of the first, uh, you know, uh, breakthroughs in in personal computing, and but also in imagery. And uh, Alfie is one of the one of the seminal people in the development of surfacing, and uh, and and uh, and you know, basically creating solid shapes with computer graphics. Um, you know, um, up to this point. Uh, you know, computer graphics had mostly been these wireframe images. You know, they look like glowing erector sets. You know, they call them vector images. And uh, and Alvi uh, and his team had spent a lot of time working on uh, uh, putting skin and surfacing on these images so they could be lit and uh, uh, you know, like like uh, real objects, and also cast shadows and have highlights on them so they could be indistinguishable with uh, solid, uh, you know, like uh, real time objects. Uh, the other thing Alfie uh, did a lot of uh, development on was um, uh, the um, alpha channeling, and and alpha channeling was basically a way to for the computer to discern solid objects and the and the hierarchy of uh, where they are in, in in a shape. So you know if if you have a hand touching a table, if the hand doesn't go through the table, that you know the computer understands that the table is a solid object. So so the hand stops you know on the surface of the table. Um, Alvi was started this kind of work at Xerox Park, and then uh, followed it through to the New York Institute of Technology, where he ran back across the country, <laughs> and then and then was was working out in Long Island, and then when Lucasfilm began, he went once again back across the continent to California, and the uh, Lucasfilm Graphic Group, of which he was like one of the main uh, uh, people, and later became the the um, uh, the technical end of Pixar Studios. You mentioned LucasArts, and for a lot of people, Star Wars was a seminal moment in rethinking what could be shown on screen, and LucasArts was a big player in computer animation, which is ironic because that first Star Wars film actually had very little computer animation in it. Yeah, it, it was an eye-opener as I was doing the research that a lot of these like very important science fiction movies that we're so inspired by and, and, you know, and seem so futuristic and far out, like 2001 Space Odyssey and the first Star Wars movie, had very little actual computer animation in them. It was mostly done in the old-fashioned techniques that a filmmaker of the 1940s and 50s would understand, the same kind of uh, uh, special effects that was done back then. But stuff was made to look like computers, and, and in fact, uh, here's a here's a fun little um, here's a here's a a, a, a fun little trivia bit. Uh, what was the first movie that 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 when you turn on a computer and, and and you see an image, it's actually that real computer, and it's not optically added afterwards in post effects. What is it? Jurassic Park. 
It's like all the way up to that point. Whenever you, any movie, when you see computer screens, the the uh, the the, um, the light resolution was so weak on the monitors that they wouldn't appear on movie film. All you would see are like black bars, you know, like it, it, they wouldn't read. So what they had to do was that they had to optically put those in in the post production process. And Jurassic is the first time that when Samuel Jackson turns on his computer, you're actually seeing what he's seeing on the computer. The actor Andy Serkis has made quite a name for himself in Hollywood in roles that have made use of some pretty heavy technology, roles like Gollum in Lord of the Rings or as Caesar in Planet of the Apes. But as you point out, there's some controversy about how much he is acting versus how much is the skill of the animator. Could you explain? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it is very controversial in, in the... Uh, um, uh, with, uh, um, in the film world, and and you know, uh, one of the things that I try to do is that a lot of the a lot of the existing literature about the technique that he uses is this technique called motion capture, where you take an actor and you cover them with sensors, and then and then everything the actor does, uh, you know, you know, becomes data for the computer, so the computer, uh, you know, recreates his um, uh, you know his movements exactly, and. Um, it's a it, you know it's a technique that actually does go back you know you know uh, uh, to the beginning of film about a hundred years uh, they used to call it rotoscope where uh, they they would take an actor and they would uh, uh, you know and they would film him and then they would trace over with paper you know the what the actor was doing you know you know even even famous movies like Snow White and Snow White and Seven Dwarfs and Captain Hook they would use a little bit of that live action reference it was still the animator's art. But they would use the live action as sort of a basis to go off of. But uh, this this uh, this computerized technique of motion capture is touted by its its adherents as being this new art form, and it's not animation, and it's like it's better than animation. And uh, and, and and speaking as someone who you know is is a, uh, a is a traditional animation artist. Uh, you know, uh, the people in our community always found this like a little off-putting, which is, uh, you know, if you're gonna, you know, you know, if you're gonna bring up this new technology, that's great, but don't talk smack on us. You know, we're not, <laughs> you know, we're not going after you. You know, like why do you feel like you need to, to, to tout the virtues of your program by running down, you know, what we do, and and um, and uh, you know, being uh, one of these kind of artists, uh, you know, I can kind of, sh- uh, you know, uh, describe the other side. Of this um, of this argument, which is that uh, in many of these more famous characters, they still need traditional uh, um, animators or traditional animation artists working on the computer to work with the images and push them. And basically, we call it like massaging the images to create the performance that everybody recognizes. Uh, for instance, one of the things that they're still having a lot of trouble do, uh, doing with is eyes. Uh, you know, no matter how many sensors and how much of this great sensitive stuff they have about, you know, you know, oh, we can do this, we can do that. In most of these movies, uh, you know, even even Gollum and Lord of the Rings, a lot of times the eyes are still being keyframed because because the the sensitivity of the sensors and all isn't good enough yet to catch that. It might happen one day, but uh, but you know, I think I think there's a certain amount of a selling job on both sides of of um, of how important their contribution to the process is as to, uh, you know, what it might actually be. But, uh, you know, it, it, it makes for a pretty lively debate. So where are we in computer animation today? In the next few years, are we just going to be improving on current systems? Or is there a new game changer out there that the public may be seeing in the next few years? Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, yeah, I think I think the the, the integration of uh, of these uh, of the digital images and and human beings is going to become more and more common. I mean, it, you know, we're we're now used to the fact of you see a movie like The Avengers or uh, you know and, you know any of these sort of high tech superhero films, and a lot of times the 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 uh, you know there's a digitized character filling in for the human actors. I mean, you know, Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus fighting on top of a moving subway train, most of that was animation. <laughs> you know, it, it looked like live action, yeah. Um, plus, um, uh, uh, you're going to see these movies, uh, you know, in the industry we call these hybrids of, of a, a, a live action film with one animated character, like the movie Ted, you know, or Garfield, which is, you know, a live action film and then there's one character that's animated. I think they're going to become more sa uh, subtle and more human-like. Now, in terms of really advanced technology, uh, uh, there's people uh, working with behavioral software where you can basically put personality characteristics, you know, you know, into the characters. They could do that now with the little warriors in the program called Massive, where you have, um, you know, 10,000 orcs and 10,000, you know, uh, soldiers, and they all fight one another, you know, independent, independently. Um, uh, you know, that I think will become more sophisticated. And one of the other discussions I've heard around is people saying, you know, in 100 years, one of the only things that hasn't changed is the movie screen. You know, it's still the same movie screen that we've been looking at. So maybe that's the next thing to be challenged. You know, can 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 films really come out into the crowd? You know, I mean, how how far do we want to go with 3D? And 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 of course, to try to figure out a way to to get rid of the big the big ugly goggles that nobody likes. Tom Cito, the author of Moving Innovation: A History of Computer Animation. Thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Thank you. I had a great time. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can find the MIT Press on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash mitpress. And you can also follow us on Twitter, where we are at MIT Press. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press podcast. Copyright 2013, the MIT Press. All rights reserved.